In this episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, we're going to talk about Warren Buffett's two rules of investing, and I'm going to give you my take on them. And it might be a little bit different than what you've heard before about those rules, but I hope that you'll get some value from it. And we're also going to be speaking with John Cullum about some year-end charitable giving ideas and also talking about his role in our Wednesday Wellness Webinar Series that will be coming out in January of 2024. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. So you've probably heard that uh, Charlie Munger passed away uh, a couple weeks ago. And as you know, he was the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And, and that's a conglomerate that's controlled by Warren Buffett. So I wanted to, uh, with those being in the headlines, I wanted to talk about Warren Buffett's two rules of investing and give you maybe a little bit of uh, insight on how I uh, like to incorporate those rules into my clients' financial planning issues. So Warren Buffett famously said, rule number one is never lose money. Rule number two is never forget rule number one. So I want to talk about those two rules with rule number one being never lose money and rule number two being never forget rule number one. I want to talk about those in the context of holistic financial planning, not just investing. So what are some of the ways that you and I can lose a lot of our money? Well, most people say, well, if the stock market goes down by a whole lot, I can lose a big portion of my portfolio. And yes, that's true. But yes, we have very little control over that. One part of our financial plan that we tend not to look at, and if your financial advisor is not talking to you about this, uh, they're probably doing you a disservice, is with your risk management and your insurances. So we're going to talk about just a couple different items that you can look at and some steps that you can take that can insulate your assets from lawsuits and liability issues. So the first thing that you can do is you can change your attitude about insurance. I've heard people for decades say that insurance is a necessary evil. Well, it's a it's a tool that has an upfront cost, but it also is a tool that can pay out thousands of times more than the cost upfront was. So insurance is an incredibly valuable financial planning tool. And really when it comes down to it, insurance does one thing. It protects your money. Nothing more, nothing less. So if you cause me to have a loss, either you're paying for my loss to be uh, to be fixed or your insurance company is. So that's all that insurance is. And if we start thinking about it as a valuable protection tool, as opposed to calling it what a lot of people do is is a necessary evil, then that'll help us to view it in the right way. The second thing that we can do is we can have a good relationship and a good, honest relationship with a local insurance agent. Now, I say that because you really don't want to have all of your money being protected by kind of an 800 number where you can never talk to the same person again. So when you're dealing with your agent that you can trust, let's be uh, let's be forthcoming. Let's uh, give honest answers and let's ask where our exposures are. So if you have a teenage driver, let's make sure that they know that you have a teenage driver, because if you don't list that driver, there's a chance that uh, your policy could deny a claim because you didn't list some some pertinent information. 
If there's somebody who typically borrows your vehicle and drives it once or twice or three times a week, make sure that your insurance company and your insurance agency know that so that they can make the proper adjustments. If you're driving for Uber, if you're delivering pizzas, if you're renting out part of your house, these are all things that your insurance company needs to know so that your policy can be rated properly and most importantly, so that there'll never be any surprises when it comes time to file a claim. Number two, and you can go back and listen to an entire episode about this topic, which was episode number 48, is personal liability umbrella policies. So if you own property, if you have any assets at all, it's a really good idea to purchase a million or two or three million dollar personal liability umbrella policy. Now these will provide protection over and above your home insurance, your auto insurance, boat insurance, things like that, if you cause a major claim. So let's think about it this way. Let's say that you cause a major five-car pileup, and you're at fault, so this was, this was your fault, and you have several people that are severely injured, you have numerous vehicles that are totaled, uh, you probably do not have enough car insurance to pay for all of those damages. And once your car insurance company has paid out all that they can based on the limits of your policy, then you're on the hook for the rest. And that can be literally hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. So what many people do, and, and, and I do this personally, is I have a personal liability umbrella policy. And once my auto insurance policy in that instance uh, would have paid out all that it's going to pay because it's reached the limits, then my liability umbrella would kick in and pay out. So these are typically very low price policies when we're looking at the cost per dollar of insurance. So make sure that you're uh, asking your insurance agent about a liability umbrella policy. Uh, you can have these both personally, and then if you have a business, um, you can have a business uh, or a commercial liability umbrella policy. Again, they typically have very little cost. With the amount of coverage that they provide, they give a lot of help with the sleep at night factor. So ask your agent about a personal liability umbrella policy for you personally and also a commercial liability umbrella policy for your business. And here's one more insurance tip to think about. And this does not involve your property and casualty insurance, but it involves your life insurance. So I've seen it over and over and over again. I'll talk to a client or a prospect and will the subject of life insurance will come up and they'll say, oh, no, that's fine. I have it through work. And yes, quite often we do have life insurance through work, through what's called a group insurance policy. And this is great. It's a great benefit that your employer provides to you. But make sure that you understand how, how much group insurance you have. Oftentimes, a, uh, an employer might give like a $20,000 death benefit to their, to their employees. Now, nobody will turn down the $20,000, but in all honesty, that does not uh, create a lot of comfort in the event that a, a primary breadwinner is lost. So make sure that you have a knowledge of what type of insurance and what amount of insurance that you have through your work. Now, typically, especially when we're talking about uh, breadwinners, uh, families that have young kids, kids, if, if you pass away tragically when you're in your 20s or 30s, not only is your family losing you, but they're losing your paycheck. So having a death benefit of, of many, many times your annual income will help your family to live the same lifestyle that they did prior to your passing away. So I guess the point of this is don't just say, yes, I have life insurance. I'm okay. Make sure you know how much life insurance you have through your work. 
Oftentimes, there are ways to purchase additional amounts of life insurance through work. And oftentimes, you might want to purchase life insurance outside of work. Another key point with regard to group insurance through work is they are not always portable, which means that if you leave your job, you cannot always take your life insurance with you. Now, that's a concern if maybe you're getting older and you're not insurable. So uh, just know your options. And again, work with a good insurance agent or work with your financial advisor to help you to make the best life insurance decisions that you can for you and your family. Because like they say, life insurance is really not about the people that die, but it's about the people that live. So what do you think? Does that give you a little bit of a different perspective on Warren Buffett's rules of investing? I know that you were probably hoping for some super duper secret stock tips and and I don't really give those, but I want to help my clients and I want to help our listeners to protect themselves and take the actions that they can take. So one of the best ways that you can protect your financial house from losing a lot of money is by having your insurances right and by having proper risk management in place. If you have any questions about that, email me, david at parallelfinancial.com. And now let's jump into a conversation that I had earlier in the week with John Cullum. John is a senior charitable estate planning advisor with the American Heart Association. And this is just a fascinating discussion about giving, how it benefits the giver, and just some ways that the giver can give effectively to charitable organizations. Hope that you enjoy it. I want to give a sneak peek of a program that we have coming up in January. I want to give a sneak peek to that today. So in January, we are going to be hosting a series of webinars called Wednesday Wellness Webinars. Um, our first Wednesday of January is going to uh, have a personal trainer talk to us a little bit about how to um, eat right, how to be healthy, maybe how to drop a couple of those holiday pounds that I know are really easy to put on. Um, the second Wednesday of January is going to uh, talk about relationships. How do we have wellness within our relationships? And the third one, uh, we're going to get a little bit of a sneak preview today. We're going to be speaking with John Cullum, who is a fellow certified financial planner on giving and, and how like giving benefits the giver, but also he's going to um, share some um, some giving tactics. So, hey, John, how are you? Well, David, hope you are. Yeah, I'm I'm doing great. It's a it's a beautiful Monday. Speaking of giving, I just um spent uh spent uh my morning volunteering, which is just it's a great feeling and um I'm I'm blessed to be in a position where I can uh, get, uh have a flexible schedule and serve um serve some of the needy. Tell me a little bit about your background like in the giving and philanthropy space. You you have uh, some pretty cool expertise. Well, thank you. I grew up in a very small town in South Carolina and my father owned a drugstore and he gave so much of his time and um, of the resources of the drugstore to folks who couldn't afford it. And that was back in the day before Medicare and Medicaid. Um, my mother you know, was a community worker and did a lot of volunteering in her time with the needy and uh, events at school. So I grew up with it. Um, I started working for a bank when I was 15. Um, I've seen a lot of changes in the banking world. I ended my banking career uh, because I really wanted to do something more. I wanted to do something that had some meaning. And that's when I transitioned my skills into philanthropy. What I see today that people get wrapped up in is making sure that everything that they give, there's a tax deduction for. 
And for many people that does apply, but there's so much of giving that has nothing to do with taxes, has no much to, has nothing to do with money. Um, there's been so much research about giving and how it affects your brain and how it makes you feel good. And I think at the bottom line, when you see someone giving away something, whether it's time or their talent or resources, you see them very happy. They're giving something away that makes them feel better. They, they know that they're benefiting, benefiting someone else in a way that is unique to what they can do. And that's what's so rewarding with what I do every day. Yeah. So like I said, I spent uh, a few hours today volunteering at a, at a soup kitchen. And number one, it really makes me count my blessings that I'm not someone who has to go to a soup kitchen for, for a free meal. And quite frankly, some of the people that come to get meals every day, they look like they have some pretty sad stories. So they need help. Number two, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, I don't get a tax deduction for just going in and helping to prepare some food or anything like that. So there's no way for me to get a tax deduction, even though I'm still personally benefiting by being happy and fulfilled and the organization is benefiting from my labor, correct? That is correct. The only thing you could get a tax deduction for would be the mileage that would be expended in going and coming home from the event. But that would that would be the only tax deduction. And most people do that because they do want to give back. And most of us realize that it is just a stone's throw away from most of us that we could end up in a situation that was very mis uh, misfortunate. Could be that it would be an um, an accident that we were in, or or an illness of us um, or our family. Um, could be a financial crisis that would occur, and it's it's close to most people. Yeah, no question about that. So taking away the um, you know the the tax issue, that what are some things that since we're in the beginning of December, that maybe kind of the average listener should be thinking about between now and the end of the year, if if they want to maybe get some tax benefits towards towards giving, what are some of those just really, really general rules? Well, I would start by uh, thinking about our service providers that we enjoy, people who cut our hair or um, babysit or um, cut our grass or even the, the, uh, the postman. Now, those wouldn't be uh, anything tax-wise, but I, again, I think they help us in so many ways. So I think we need to start thinking about them. Then we roll up into the charity perspective, and how do we help the charities that we uh, support maybe all year with our time and talent? Uh, maybe it's the um, the place where we worship. Maybe it's uh, some a large organization like I work for with American Heart, where we um, you know fund research and CPR training. But it could also be um, a school. It could be um, the the local art museum or the uh, or the um, the zoo. But how to do it tax wise is really important because you do want to get a tax deduction if if you can. One of my favorite sayings is "Don't let the tax tail wag the dog." But there are times where if you are giving to a nonprofit, you want to get the receipt and you want to be able to. Uh, to use that against your taxes. So the one of the first things I think now is that you should go through your house and look for things that you no longer need. There's many organizations that accept those, that repurpose those to people that don't have much. It may be blankets, maybe it's a jacket. It could be other things that they could use. So that would be one place I would start. The second would be that if you are giving cash away, making sure that you get that receipt, making sure that you do it before December 31st. Organizations, most organizations have a year end of June 30th. 
whereas we have a tax year end that ends uh, December 31st. So we want to make sure that we get that, that tax deduction by getting that um, contribution in before the end of the year. If you're going to give appreciated security, such as stock or bonds or mutual funds, you want to make sure you start that process now so that by the time that you want to give the money, uh, give the asset, there's plenty of time for those assets to get transferred from contacting your financial advisor to the organization that receives it. So that, again, is really important. So let's say I have some, I don't know, Coca-Cola stock that has a basis of $1,000, but it's now worth $20,000. Why don't I just cash that out and write a check to the organization for $20,000? Wouldn't that be the same thing? Well, that's a great question. Most people, A lot of people do that thinking it is the same thing, and obviously it's not. So if you have a basis of $1,000, you sell it for $20,000, you have a capital gain of $19,000. Assuming you've had that longer than a year, you're going to owe capital gains tax somewhere around 20%. So that's going to be $3,800 out of the 20000 So you'll be able to give to the charity then $16,200. Whereas if you gave the Coca-Cola stock directly to the organization, they sell it for $20,000. They have $20,000 and you have a tax deduction for $20,000 versus the $16,200. So everybody wins by taking stock in. Now, we do get to the point where there are some small organizations that don't accept stock for whatever reason. So you just need to understand that they can accept it. And if they can, that is by far the smartest asset to give away. And I'm always a proponent of getting help from people who know what they're doing. A lot of us, we just don't know what we don't know. And I'm sure many people, you know, it was kind of a trick question about selling the stock and then giving the money away because I've seen that happen before. But the simple act of just giving the stock away versus um, selling the stock and um, and giving the money, just it benefits everybody. So working with someone like myself or someone like you really helps all parties, um, all parties involved. Absolutely. I would always encourage people to get um, professional advice when they are making some sort of financial decision that would have some bearings either on their retirement, uh, education, their children, or um, a tax question. I think that's really important. The other thing I would mention, if you're over 70 and a half, you can have a contribution that would come directly from your IRA to the charity. And it's called a qualified charitable distribution. Go to your financial advisor. They can help you with this. But what happens, the money gets transferred directly from your IRA. You do, do not count it as income, nor do you get to count it as a tax deduction. But if you're over 73, where you're mandated to take minimum required distributions, this will apply toward that. So it's a very powerful way to give an asset that's not in your current income stream, and you probably won't even miss it. There's a limit of $100,000 a person per year. So if you have um, a married couple, each could give away $100,000. And that's meaning. That is, that is. And if we can give away money, but we could also do it in the most efficient manner possible, I think that benefits everybody involved. And, and that's why I really enjoy speaking with people like you and also working with my clients on how to give money and securities and property away in, in a way that's just most, most efficient. What are the rules with cars? I know you see some billboards with organizations kind of accepting cars. Um, 
you know, does an organization have to accept your car? Kind of what what would the value of the deduction be, you know, with regard to, to the value of the car? Well, that's a good question because you do see that. And we in American Heart accept cars as well as a 1-800 number. They literally will come pick the car, the RV, the dump truck, the 18-wheeler, whatever it is that you have, doesn't have to run. They pick it up, they send it to auction, and then the charity gets the proceeds from the auction. Your deduction is an appraised value if the amount is over $5,000 because the um, deductions between you and the IRS and the charity will not give you a value for that because the deduction is between you and the IRS. But having said that, it's not hard to find an appraisal in a Kelly's Blue Book or somewhere that you can get an appraisal from or a value if it's over more than 5000 So that's a piece of the conversation that I had with John Cullum of the American Heart Association earlier this week. And that was really meant to give you a taste of what we're going to be talking about in our future webinar with him as part of our Wednesday wellness webinars in January of 2024. So be on the lookout for some sign-up info for the Wednesday wellness webinars that will be in January 2024. Uh, Wednesday the 3rd, we'll be speaking with Stephen Pumphrey about wellness, about fitness and nutrition, and dropping some of those stubborn holiday pounds. On Wednesday the 10th, we'll be speaking with Thomas Castro. He's a licensed marriage family therapist, and he'll be talking about relationship health. On Wednesday the 17th, John Cullum will be back on and he'll be taking a deep dive into the benefits of giving and giving some giving strategies. And then finally, on Wednesday the 24th, I will be giving some financial strategies that can help you to build your financial wellness for the upcoming year. So that about wraps up this episode. Until next episode, I wish everybody a blessed week. The information contained herein included but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other materials obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. These materials are provided for informational purposes only and should not be used for or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of any future results.